Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Now, the mandate that I have this afternoon catches a story that I believe if you've been in the gospel for some time, you either have heard of it not once or twice, but I think you can tell it because it's a very common story. And it's in Acts chapter 3. A story is given through the third chapter that's going to uh, perpetuate into the fourth chapter where then I will lay the emphasis of what I feel God has laid on my heart to share with you this afternoon. Uh, but if you'll allow me, Peter and John, together walking into the temple at the hour of prayer, ninth hour, to be exact. And then they find a man who is lame from his mother's womb. And this man every day was carried daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them who entered into the temple. Now, when this man sees Peter and John, he expects that they should give him some alms. And then Peter fastens his eyes on this man and said, look on us. And then he looks at them, gave heed to them as of though expecting of something from them. Peter tells this man, silver and gold have I not. That which I have in the name of Jesus Christ I give unto thee. Rise up and walk. The Bible tells us Peter stretches his right hand and lifts the man up and immediately the man's feet and ankle and bones receive strength. And when he leaped, he stood, walked, and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, of course, this happened before a multitude of people. And so when people saw that miracle, everybody started praising God because they knew this man for a long time. He had been at the temple. The scriptures tell us that man was about 40 years old. So it's been 40 years of living crippled. Now, because... The early church used to congregate at Solomon's porch. In verses 11, And the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. He hugged them. And all the people ran together and to them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now, the people who saw this, because they were amazed, Peter took that opportunity to help them understand what had taken place the Bible tells us in verses 12, he starts to uh, exhort them not to marvel at that. And he's then on a journey to explain to them by what power, by what means or name that he has done this miracle. And so all that were there started hearing of the great wonders, of the testimony of this man Jesus that he was talking about. While he continued speaking, and I'm going to skip because of time, we go uh, in the fourth chapter, continuing the story of him explaining. And those of you who love the word, 
I know you're going to go back a bit and read that story for your own good, for your own good. So while he was telling the people by what power or name this has uh, happened, the Bible says in verses 1, Acts chapter 4, as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them. And why do these people come unto them? They're indignant because these upstart apostles are instructing people, teaching, testifying, proclaiming that through Jesus, the resurrection of the dead is given. It's available. Are you following? So while these men are testifying of by what power and by what name, the most emphasized theme was the resurrection from the dead through Jesus Christ. It was preached. Now, the miracles were happening. They were already indignant about that, disturbed about that because it has disturbed social order. And now these men are emphasizing there is a resurrection of the dead through Jesus, um, affirming that because Christ was raised from the dead, therefore, this miracle was possible. Verses 3, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the chief of the temple police, the priests that were there, get a hold of these men and arrest them and throw them in jail until the morning. Now, in the morning, of course, they were to be summoned. Why? Because they did not cause some small star. It was an uproar. In fact, scripture tells us, because of that one miracle, 5,000 men came to Jesus Christ. They had the word and believed. That's why I tell our fellow ministers, do not underestimate the power of the miracle. Miracles can change people. Miracles can change people. I remember one time I prayed for a lady whom the whole village in Kazo knew that she was mad. Everybody knew. And I remember that everybody, I just prayed in seconds, they'd failed to heal her. They took her to physicians, took her to mental hospital, nothing medically would help her. And then I prayed for this woman for about two or three minutes and then she comes to sanity. Almost everyone who saw that miracle many of which were Muslims because she came from a predominantly Muslim family, received the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next Sunday joined us as members, some of whom have pastored for many years and are still born again up to today because of that one miracle. If Jesus needed miracles, you need miracles. If Jesus needed signs and wonders, you need signs and wonders. Somebody shout hallelujah. No man can effectively or effectually preach the gospel without the demonstration of God's power. Now, go back. The next day they were called in a meeting in Jerusalem. There were rulers, religious leaders, religion scholars. And there was an ask, the chief priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, everybody who was anybody. They were all what? They were all there. And the Bible tells us they stood Peter and John in the middle of the room and started putting charges on them. By what business do you this, do this? By what name do you do this? By what power do you do this? The Bible says, Peter stood up full of the Holy Spirit and started addressing them. What was he addressing? The death 
the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in verses 10, to emphasize this further, he tells them, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, of whom Nazareth, whom you crucified, comma, whom God raised from the dead, he has repeated what was disturbing them prior. Even by him does this man stand here before you. This is why this miracle is here. This is the stone which was set at note of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Verses 12, he says, Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, verses 13 says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, and they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And because they beheld the man which was crippled, healed, standing straight, they could say nothing. But the Bible says when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, these men conferred among each other and said, what shall we do to this man? For indeed, it's a notable miracle that has been done by them. And it's manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny the miracle. So they say, you know what? Let's make sure it's spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak nor teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is the thing I don't understand about human beings. A notable miracle has taken place. A crippled man has walked. And they're saying, we must make sure this does not move far. <laughs> Laugh at the devil. Listen, a miracle has happened. Their eyes are not on the miracle. Their eyes are on preserving their institution. Their eyes are on preserving their persons, maintaining their identity. So they threaten the apostles and tell them, we don't want to hear you speaking or teaching under this name. Team, Peter tells them and John, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You judge that. Should we fear you? Should we fear God? How can we ignore what we've seen? Bible tells us they further threaten them. What threatenings? We might not carry the exact language for what was said, but the scripture tells us when they let them go, these men ran back to their company, the people that they always used to hang out with and fellowship with and told or reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, when they shared it with the team and they heard this, the Bible says they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God which has made heaven and earth, sea, and all that is in them. These are the men praying. The Bible says, Whom by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. These are them praying, okay? For a truth against your holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand to be done. Now, they prayed, Lord, behold their threatenings and kill them. Behold their threatenings and make sure they get accidents. Behold their threatenings and get them fired from their jobs. No. They said, Lord, behold their threatenings 
and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. Just give us more boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the Holy Child. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken and they were assembled together, filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitudes of them that believed were with one heart, one soul, neither said any of them, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had all things in common. Verses 33, and with great power, underline that, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon all. How many times have we spoken about the resurrection of the dead in that one chapter? Three times. That means there's a deep correlation between the power that does miracles, signs and wonders and the work of the resurrection of Christ. Those two things are correlated. It's upon the resurrection of Christ that the church is given the right jurisdiction and mandate to heal the sick, to demonstrate the signs and wonders of the risen Christ. If I were you, I'll clap for that. Look at you. And I read such a long scripture because that's where I'm going to lay the rest of my emphasis while you're here. This is the point I want you to note and take home. Without the resurrection of Christ, we have no miracles in the church. Without the resurrection of Christ, you carry no mandate, right, or agenda to command faith to do the impossible. The difference between Christianity and any other faith, and I dare you any other faith in the world, is the power of resurrection that evidently works in our bodies, works in our families, works in our ministries, works in every aspect of our lives. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is the only differentiating mark of Christianity against any other faith in the world. We have something they cannot have. The Bible says that we have an altar from which they have no right to eat. You cannot get any man from any faith and bring a lame man here and then we sell it spray. They cannot do it. But we have the right. We have the right. That is why I tell people, every time I get to Resurrection Sunday that week, I get so thrilled. The adrenaline in my spirit pumps up and I start shooting on all pistons. Why? Because I'm reminded that we are able to do whatever we do because this man was raised from the dead. We have a bunch of people who no longer believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who only look at him as a historical figure. Recently, I saw some appalling uh, facts, I may call them, out of some sort of research that was done in the United States and some parts of Europe, and how a huge percentage now, very huge percentage of close to 40% of the people who know about Jesus don't believe that he died and was raised from the dead. And I know why. Many of those parts of the world that are, you know, against truth are really people who 
for some time now have not seen the demonstration of a resurrected life. This resurrected life in Christ. They have not seen power. I told people there was a time years ago, as those of you who read modern history, where almost every notable healing anointing was in one place, the United States of America. Even in the near uh, uh, history, if you go back about the 50s or 60s, Word of Faith movement, Holy Ghost movement, you find the Catherine Coleman's are healing the sick. You find the, uh, the you know, the later names like the Benny Hinn's are healing the sick. The Reinhard Bonkies are healing the sick. The Lester Summerall's are healing the sick. The Howard Carter's are healing the sick. Mention the Jesse Maurice Rulo. They're healing the sick. The Kim Clements are prophesying like nothing. The power of God was present. The Whitakers and many other men and women of God whom had not only understood but had agreed in their spirits to show or demonstrate this power. Oral Roberts and many like. I remember the story of Catherine Coleman uh, on her deathbed. Oral Roberts comes to heal her and she refused healing. Catherine refused to be healed. Not that healing wasn't available. These men were so crazy. They knew if we laid hands on you, you should heal. So that generation, go through Europe and look for people who can do that. There are very few in the world. In fact, I can tell you boldly that uh, if I look, for example, at the United States, I don't, I'm not saying that there's no work of God in that nation. I'm saying there is a work and I recognize that because we all carry flames uh, that connect to the graces that operated on some of those men's lives earlier. Unfortunately, many of them are, you know, dead bones onto which we were thrust and something came up and alive in our spirits. But I can tell you that the history of that nation really has spelt great, great, great revivals and great power demonstrated among men. But I can say this with all humility and respect to that nation. That when I look north, east, west, south, the healing ministry is leaving that country. I think on the exception of a man like Benny Hinn, in that level, I have not seen any man who can really function in a healing grace to that level. I'm not talking about those few things that happen once in a year, two times in a, you know, 10 years or five years, and then you have that one remarkable miracle either by the faith of the man uh, that wants the miracle. And I'm talking about that thing that not only cements, but establishes the healing anointing so distinctly that the people are able to see things that they only read in the book of Acts and they're seeing them before their eyes. That is now getting rare in the United States. That's now getting rare in Europe. It's getting rare in some parts of Asia. I don't know many I can mention of head, but in Africa, it's here. It's here. It's here. If you've been in this ministry for a long way, you just need to go on YouTube and you'll see it. So don't take it light. Don't take it light that very few men on this earth right now are moving or functioning in that power. In the healing revival days, it was everywhere. Now it's becoming scarce. It reminds me of the days when revelation was scarce and there was no open vision. But then God spoke to the, to the Samuels, that men and women, a few pockets of men who have still kept this flame. And I tell you, that's why now you see, and I've said this with so much pain again and respect that now the age is neo-Pentecostal. It's motivational. Oh my God, they speak. They speak. They can speak and speak and speak. That's all they have. It's speech. You see? So I'm not saying that it's bad because it ministers to some people. You understand? If you have an emotional breakdown, this guy can take you out of depression. You see? 
but there's a way the anointing ministers. And I cannot explain this, but in my simplest language, I see that there are things you can't explain. There are things you can't teach. There are things you can only demonstrate by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the greatest teacher that ever walked the surface of this earth. But even he knew that there are things he was not going to speak. There were things he was not just going to motivate men into. Jack them up with some sort of philosophy or genealogy. No. He needed the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. There's a stern warning to the church. And especially our the younger generation. Recently, I saw this Ashbury. Was it Ashbury? The revival that happened in Kentucky. You know, it was not the first time it had happened. It happened, I think, in the 30s. Cycle of 30 to 70s, which is 40 years. It's usually the predictable cycle of revivals. It's usually a span of 40 years. Happened in the 30s, happened in the 70s. Now it's happened in this time, which is, again is a cycle of 40 years. And uh, they are in a room, they're praying. You can see the Spirit of God is there. You can see conviction of sin is there. You can see, man, God is trying to light something. I don't know whether I'm, I'm just a bit old school or something has changed in our generation. I think it took place two weeks. Did it go beyond two and a half? It's gone. It's gone. People met, worshipped Jesus for two weeks, I think. It's gone. <laughs> what is revival? What is revival? Now, I'm not criticizing what they saw. By the way, I, like I said, I recognize that the person of the Holy Spirit was present. I recognize that the gifts of the Spirit were present. I recognize that it was faceless, it was nameless, and I recognize that we celebrated that time. In fact, one of my ministers and I tried to see how, you know, we could connect to a few of them. Because we saw the gifts were there, but how then do we help them, some of them, with this flame make some sense? Because after that two weeks, is America saved? No. Are the schools changed? No. Are their universities changed? No. Is Kentucky changed? No. What about those who received Jesus in that time and were transformed? What have they become after the last two weeks? Do you see what I'm saying? Because you cannot speak about revival without reforming the human spirit. Do you understand? Jesus never revived without reformation. You're not going to do it otherwise. How are you going to multiply? You see what I'm saying? You do it in another part of the world and it's cult. You understand? If it's in another part of the world, it's revival. If it's in a certain part of the world, it's cult. Can't be God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, the pain was that there was no foundation to undergird this flame to go beyond. And for us, apostolically, that's the pain. 
Apostolically, that's the pain. That's the pain. Now, when you read the revivals before, Nazusa, which I believe not even many Americans have read themselves, yet it happened on their land. Uh, the Pentecostal movement of Charles Parham, yet it happened on their land. The holiness movement, the prayer movement, you realize that something in the newer generation is lost. We're losing it every day. That's why a generation can't pray. It can actually sit under a song that can minister to its convictions, either right or wrong, but it cannot be fervent. You don't see generations of men who can sit in a room and pray for four or five hours. We don't have that anymore. We just need to play some music and conjure some emotions, which is okay to conjure them, but to what end? Is the worship under some sort of revelation of the person of Jesus Christ? Oh, it's a place of melting affections. And yet, having a very deeply passive and indifferent soul that after that moment or season, there is nothing beyond that. It doesn't go beyond the season. It doesn't go beyond the season. Read Azusa Street. This man is behind shoeboxes praying. The power of God hits Bonabray. They're not praying because they have a very nice sound or they have instruments. They're not worshipping because they have very good music on YouTube. No. They're worshipping God because every day he's manifesting himself strong. A story is given in Azusa where these guys see a fire on the roof. I've been to that place. I saw it. So it's on the, on the street. People are on the streets. And then they see a fire on the roof. And then they call the firemen. And these guys come uh, with fire trucks to take out the fire. And then they reach there. And then this man, he lifts his horse just to put it up. And he's telling people there's fire up there. It's moving the other side. And as he opens his mouth to explain how the fire is moving, bam! He goes out. You understand? Then the firemen are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Are you learning something? The firemen are baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then they discover later that the fire, much as there was a fire on the roof, it was not actually consuming. Nothing was burned. God just lit a flame on the top of that house to get the attention of a fireman to speak in tongues. And while a man is pointing at it to say, I see fire, he's, bap he's baptized by the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's why the Edward Joe churches get those flames and come in Gahini and then connect with the Sivambis and the Mabel Ensors. That is the flame that lit the East African revival. It left Azusa and came here. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So in no means am I trying to water down what God is doing in different parts of the world. I'm only saying I think we should learn how to respond to the work of God. How to respond to the work of God. Otherwise, another 40 years, if you are alive, you're going to see it again come back. Because revivals usually evolve through 40 years, sometimes 20, and a few little upsets. But usually the predictable pattern is the 40 year because there's something about the number and the trial of men, the end of seasons and the opening of another. So anyway, that's why if you saw 1936 in Uganda, 30 there, the 30s, that's when the East African revival began. 40 years into that loop, then we get into the Chiwempe movement, 1979. 40 years into that loop puts us in this time. 
So many of you must open your eyes and understand that God is doing something already in this land. You continue sleeping all you want, but some of us are waking up and seeking God deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Young men are hungry now in this time than we have ever seen in Uganda before. They are hungry. Literally yesterday one school had to call police and the army on me. Kids are making a line from different schools just coming to hear Jesus. And then they got guns and policemen. I said, what an anointing. <laughs> I have a Bible. I'm coming with a Bible and they're getting guys with guns on the gate waiting. Apostle Grace cannot enter here. <laughs> Somebody sound fire. We have stories to tell our children. It's not the first time. One time I was in Makiri. They called police on me. Twice I think it has happened. Now this is the third time. So you say, but me, I don't have a gun. I only have Jesus. <laughs> Nothing is going to stop what God is doing. No system, no order is going to stop what God is doing. Because this is not about us. It's about what God is doing. Somebody say resurrection power. We want something that can affect a hundred years. Something that can affect seven, eight, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. That, that our children grow up in the same flame and they can say there is something we got from this generation. It taught us to pray. It taught us to talk. It taught us to believe. It taught us to walk with God. Some of you have just joined Fanero recently. You don't know our story. I have people in this room who are so, so, so crazy that there is nothing they are not able to believe God for. And if I can start telling you memories upon memories of the things we have seen with God, many of these people who are following us now, whom you see sitting in these Sunday services, serving on the streets, doing these crazy things, and people say, why are they on the streets? No, they have seen. They have seen. If you've been in Fenero for some time, you have seen, especially my, the pioneers, those older, older groups. You know, I have those older, older groups when we were still 12, 13, but crazy. They're still crazy, although that these days now they got money. So sometimes I fight with them and then I put them in order and then I have to, you know, shake them up a bit. But I have people here who can believe things. I can start telling you story upon story. One time I was going to full gospel to preach. These kids went to Mulago to look for a dying person because they knew I was going to preach. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, shake somebody and tell them resurrection power. <laughs> you know, I was from Mukono from preaching the gospel and we failed to find cars and I moved five to seven kilometers in the thick, dark, deeper there, further than Wanton, beyond civilization. And one a.m., two a.m., we are speaking in tongues. It's the only protection we have. Roca, Bradega. So if there is a dog there, it should hear us. Mashopran, Degoziga. Very deep, deep thicket there. And by God's grace, after those many kilometers, we landed on these drunk fellows. I think they were riding bikes, and then they brought us to Kampala. Lo and behold, there is an ambulance outside. These kids got a dying person. They bring a girl dying. She has heart disease. She had cancer. She had four things. Sickle cells, HIV. 
all in one person. And then they put her there. So me, I'm walking in, I see an ambulance. I thought probably somebody came with it to church. No, even the doctors in Mulago warned them, don't take this person. So I enter. First thing, I see this girl on the floor, lay hands. Wah. Jennifer stands up and starts running. The power of God went through her. Eh? She ran out of the church. <laughs> Jimmy! Do not trust in the person who has gone or died. She's still alive up to today. <laughs> Jennifer's son died called Joshua. I raised him back to the dead. <laughs> by this gospel. Then in Chambogo, they brought Nachibuka. The girl was Nachibuka. They brought a lady from Mulago. Again, these guys just used to go looking for people who are dying. I'm telling you, I have people. I have people in this church who are crazy. You remember the time I did Healing Chronicles on radio? Somebody just took a radio on a man. A car had actually run through half of his body. Half of his body. And it became crippled. Six, eight months. Nothing is alive down here. This kid just took a radio and put it next to the man and said, just listen. In the middle while I'm calling out and saying, if you're there and you're crippled, the man just stretched his legs like this. He got up. We have seen God. I don't want you to forget that. I need to remind you always, we have seen God. The man just came walking. The next weekend he was on radio testifying himself. So we had those things. You see? That's why I love it when they carry people from Mulago on anniversary or what. I love it because it's like God is saying, aha, let me show them. Let me just show them. So this lady comes, she had HIV and cancer. Stage four. The doctors had nothing to do. They just started ministering palliative care, morphine and painkillers to let her die. These kids find a lady skinny. I'd never seen anybody that small in my life. Her hand was like the size of this very skinny and she had lost all muscle because of sickness so she had become crippled so they bring this little small lady on a bed I remember that time that night electricity actually went off and they put her down on the floor I'm preaching and I preach and I preach and I preach and then towards the end of the service I stretch my hand towards this woman and the smallest skinniest human being I'd ever seen gets up and starts walking the voice was low and she kept screaming in a local language I'm healed I'm healed, small little thing. And then she starts running. You almost think the wind will blow her. I'm healed, I'm healed. I looked at the legs and the legs were like this. No muscle. Five, six months later, that woman came to church. I wept. Not because I didn't know what God can do. But I was taken aback at the mercy God has for us. Because God had given her a second chance on life. She went to the doctors, no cancer, no HIV. Najibuka is alive walking in Kampala. No sickness in her body. Still living and loving her Jesus. So, we cannot say that God heals if we don't have the foundation of God. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand what this day means. Some of you think it's about eating food and catching up with families. No, no, no. This is exactly what this day means. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is resident inside your spirit. And you can by faith lay hold of the promises. Somebody shout hallelujah. This is what they saw. When the lame man walks, they point to the resurrection of the dead. That is what Satan didn't want to go out. That's why many of the religions of the world are fighting Christianity. Because we say he died and was raised. That's why. It's the only reason why they don't believe in us or they fight us. That's why every institution that's against Christianity in the world is fighting. The resurrection of Jesus. Because they know what that means. It means that you have right and advantage to lay a hold of everything God has promised by Christ Jesus. So when they arrest them, they took them before the council and it's the exact thing they're telling them. Men, women, children listening there, be it known to you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who was raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand before you. I need to emphasize, Peter is saying, I need to emphasize that it's the man whom you crucified, but he was raised from the dead. He never stayed in hell. Because he never raised, this is the sign, the lame man is walking. This is the sign, the lamb is walking. Do you understand? For example, those of you who are in Lira, five people from deaf school, these are not, they were in the community, deaf school, they were doing sign language. And they all go back talking. By what power? The resurrection power. If anybody doubts that Jesus was raised from the dead, you just need to see our record of healing. You don't need to go far. You just put 1,000 shillings on a phone and go on YouTube. Google Apostle Grace Healing. You will believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why I charge you. I tell you, no. Bring anybody from any faith. You bring the greatest guru in life. The greatest, the wisest guru who can speak wisdom up, down, uh, left, right, and center. You bring a lame man and me. And that guru. And we stand there. And we demonstrate wisdom. No, I'm not talking about the wisdom of this world that is brought to nothing. Nothing spoken or as of concerning the wisdom of this world has any end. It's brought to nothing. No, it's brought to nothing. Because a child of God can open his mouth and say something that will dispel any wisdom you know in human history. That the first time the blind eye opened in scripture, the Bible says this had never happened in human history. Now, that, the Bible says, John 9, 32, since the world began, it was not hard that any man opened the eyes of one which was born blind. We have opened blind eyes before your eyes. Even in Barada, there's a man, you remember what, an accident? His eye closed. While I was praying for the sick, the eye opened. Oh. Check somebody and tell him, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He healed then, he heals now, and he will heal next year. Somebody shout amen. 
refuse to die young, refuse to die weak, refuse that diabetes, refuse that cancer, refuse that heart disease. Talk to your kidneys and tell them enough is enough. Jesus was raised from the dead. Shout amen. amen. So when they were threatened, the Bible tells us, they still go back. And this time they say, give us boldness. And the Bible says the place they were on shook and God filled them with the Spirit. It's important for you to note that. These men filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Ghost, were not men which had not tested the gift of the Spirit. They had tested the gift of the Spirit. The scriptures are very clear. But there are dimensions of infields according to either the purposes for which God is aligning a man or the degrees in which or to which God is consecrating a man. If you remember before his ascension, the Bible says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. But that was not what would equip them to take the gospel across the world. That was temporary. It was temporal. Okay? It tells them, but you tarry in Jerusalem until the Spirit is come. What I'm breathing on you is going to come in person to baptize you with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's what happens in Acts 2. And then they said speaking in tongues and started walking in the spirit, healing the sick. But there's another blessedness as well. After all that had done and they were healing the sick and raising the dead, we see that there's another level of deeper consecration where with God you know, uh, enamors you with boldness. He covers you with boldness. He ministers his love to you by putting some boldness on you and making it so effectively effortless or easy for you to minister this resurrected life and its power. And this is exactly what happened. The place they were on was shaken and the Bible says and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not as of men which had not the Spirit, but as men which had uh, the Spirit, but was of a third blessing to empower them further to do more. The Bible says in verses uh, 32, it says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul and neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had all things in common. Listen, and with great power, you see, with great power, something was added on them and with great power, they gave witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, because of that endowment, the Bible says, great grace was upon them. That's why when they were praying for boldness, they were not praying that these people would die or that these people would have problems in their families. No, they said, give us a certain boldness by stretching out your hands. And when you stretch out your hands, heal the sick and that signs and wonders will be done in your name. He adds another level. When I started walking in the healing anointing, I have had those moments where God has imbued more grace. He has put more grace. He has added a deeper level of grace in my life. And if you study my testimony in your life, you'd see it. That now, you know what's happening? That is called a sign. When the Bible says to heal the sick and that signs and wonders may be done. Now, that's a sign. Sign meaning that there are things, occurrences from the Spirit that will vindicate the anointing on your life. Sometimes I don't need to even think about it. 
Sometimes I just need to stand in a place and the Spirit of God will seek to vindicate what's upon my life. Now, like it's happening to that young lady, I might meet somebody and they don't know God. Like recently I met a fellow, he doesn't know God, he's not born again. Started looking at me and started crying. He just started crying. He couldn't stop crying. I know why. It was a sign. God was arresting him. What was on my life was affecting him. He started crying. You see, now, that is not something that is taught in Bible school. It's not something that you learn in a book. It is something you experience, you see. But you see, that fear that he placed on my life is not for my sake, you see. That grace and power is not for my sake. It's to minister to somebody else as I'm being vindicated by the Spirit that I'm a servant of God. You see? Now, over the years, back in the day when I just started demonstrating power, the signs used to come from far. I used to do so much for the signs of the Spirit to follow. Now, as I continue to age in the things of the Spirit, what's on me is old. It has been tested. I've moved around it in so many. And I cannot say that I have it all, but I can tell you that now I'm in that place where I don't even need to say anything. I just need to enter a room. I just need to shake a hand. I just need to come proximate to some people. I just need to look. Sometimes I don't even need to switch it on. Sometimes I don't even need to do anything. But there's a place where, when you read Colossians, for example, the book of Colossians, you find that Paul, through that, is trying so much to define our identity in Christ because it's a very important aspect and journey of the Christian life to know who you are in God. To know the place of sonship, the inheritances of the saints, the greatness of his power, like it says in Ephesians, it's an important aspect to define who we are in God. But I told people, like the lover and her groom in the Song of Solomon, it begins from a place of intimacy, but then while they're in a sort of deeper intimacy, her lover starts to distance her from himself only to draw out herself out of the equation. Let me make it simpler. They are, you know, in relationship, but then later on as you study the book, you start to realize that there are instances where he separates himself from her, not as one who does not love her, but Sometimes these intimacies cause us to lean so much on God and sometimes take advantage of what that intimacy can give us. But sometimes we lose the picture of God's purpose for that intimacy and the end of that intimacy that you might lose yourself, that you will die to the self. And so sometimes you see him away and she's looking for him on the streets and she's asking the watchman where he is but he's trying to say that you know maybe you were relating with me in our primary places of relationship only from what you could receive from me because at the end of the day it was ministering to you as a person but i want to draw you to a place where i will kill the self that at one particular point you will get to seeking me not because of what i am to give you but because of how much I have consumed you, you see? So when Paul says in Galatians that I am crucified with Christ, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You forget that in that place of crucifixion, there was a separation between Christ and his church, physically, you see? 
Mary had to walk back home. The disciples had to walk back home. But there was a fulfillment of a bigger plan. And the plan was for them to now carry identity with him, to go beyond just knowing who they are to the place of their self-dying and that one day they will find that there is no them anymore. Paul says, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He says, necessity is laid upon me to preach the gospel. He says, I know nothing of myself. I don't know anything anymore of myself. When you're sent the center, the passions and the identity that surround your immaturity continue to cease as you continue to grow in God, you get to a point where you no longer exist. You no longer exist. Yet not I, but Christ. You see, but Christ as you continue to walk into that kind of consecration, you no longer demonstrate power so people should know that you are anointed because it's not about them knowing. You know, I've had people who say, Father, do this miracle so you can prove to them that I'm a prophet. And you know, God can do that. But there's still you. There's a you there. Oh, do this so you can prove to them that you're the one who sent me. It's okay, but there's still a you that is there. There's a point where... <laughs> You won't say, prove to them that I'm a prophet. To prove to them that you are God, whether I'm in the picture or not. Because it's more important to fulfill. You see, I remember the time when we were praying for revival. I remember asking God and I asked this prayer. Heaven knows. I said, if I am not a chosen one, show me the chosen man and I will pray for them every day. You understand what I'm saying? Because we got to a point where it was not important whether it was me, but it was important that we saw something in our generation. I imagine the generation where you're going to live and die and you've never seen a blind eye open, a deaf ear, hearing a crippled man putting down his clutches and running, a woman with her wheelchair saying, Jesus has healed me. I imagine living in that generation because I've seen people in Europe who probably have been in the gospel for 20, 30 years and they've never seen it with their eyes. And for us, it was more important. That's why I said it's important to go through this death. So, signs, wonders, miracles, they asked. And when all these three are manifested in their life, the Bible says they witness the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So, everything we do in demonstration... Okay? Everything we teach in demonstration is to the end. It's like if I say that somebody in this room has a headache. Right? And then I say that in five seconds that headache is going to disappear. I've just given you an example. Now, if you're in this room and you came with a headache and the headache has left, put up your hand. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Now, how many people are here? I just said something, not as an example, to prove to you that I'm anointed, but as an example to tell you what we have been given by Jesus that I just said that a headache is going to live in five seconds and whatever was seated on somebody's head disappeared. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm no longer, and I'm, this is not boasting, I'm just testifying. I'm no longer in the realm where I need to pray for a sick person. You understand? Because I know the time I experienced God where he 
instructed me from today just declare okay right now i'm saying there's somebody with a swelling and it's disappearing it's either on your ear it's your neck in your hand armpit it is disappearing in this very moment now if you come with a swelling i want you to check yourself and if you don't feel that swelling anymore stand up stand up that's one two stand up three stand up you came with a swelling and as i was speaking it has disappeared stand up four one two three four five six seven do we have some in the overflow stand up if you came with a swelling and it has disappeared you just came and you've checked yourself as i spoke stand up how many people are those one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve now it has gone You may take a seat. This week I was playing basketball. A boy came with this. You know, I love people when they have faith. How many of you were there? A young man came with a with a broken hand. Fresh, he had just broken his hand. I was playing basketball. He said, Apostle Grace. Mm. What where have you come? He says, I wanted to heal. How can, how can I walk with a broken hand? I can't. Basketball, I'm sweating. I laid hands on the fellow. Ah. The hand healed. He threw off the thing he was wearing. He's walking. There's a mutual friend of mine. That woman is in this ministry. She got, I don't know what, what's an accident and her peep, it broke, I don't know. And you know elderly people, their bones are weak. So I remember one of those days I finished service, she comes in the back with this stick like. Then she says, Apostle Grace, in that accent, I am not going back with this stick. Whether you pray fast or do anything you want, I don't care. What I know is I'm not going back with this stick. She gave me the clutches. I said what boldness. No, did you hear? Did you hear what I just said? What the Bible says that he was given a name. You remember in John when he prays and says, Father, glorify your name. You remember when he prays, glorify your name? When was the glorification? The glorification was that in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, the Bible says he ascended in hell. When he ascended in hell, the Bible says he made a public spectacle of the devil. Every demon, every spirit, everything in hell gunned its forces against Jesus. And then he defeated them. The Bible says he shook them to nothing. That's what Colossians says. The Amplified Bible says it disarmed the principalities and powers that ranged against us and made a bold display and public spectacle or example of them in triumphing over them in him in it at the cross. Now, when he goes in hell, the Bible says he triumphs. He shakes every demon to nothing. And then after that, he made a public spectacle. What is a public spectacle? Witnesses. There were witnesses which saw it in heaven on earth and under earth. They saw. But it was happening in the spirit realm, not your physical realm. All you remember is that when that happened, the graves of them which were dead started shaking. The Bible says, and those which had died rose again, they came back to life. Why? Because there was resurrection power taking place. Now listen closely. Listen closely. Now, when he shook them to nothing, the Bible says it was at that that he was given a name. That at the sound of that name, 
every knee should bow. He did not say may bow, could bow, will bow. It's not a negotiation. No, 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 no. It's not a fancy statement. This is the boldness of the spirit. He says every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But I want you to go back again to that portion of scripture. He says every knee should bow of things in the earth, things under the earth and of things in heaven. Why? Because those were the three realms that witnessed the defeat of Satan. That means every time you call on that name, earth is watching to see the same thing they saw 2,000 years ago. Every time you call on the name of Jesus, heaven stands up to say what miracle is happening today. Every time you call on the name of Jesus, hell stands still saying, who is in trouble? Not they may stand, they should stand. There are people in this world when they say Jesus, heaven literally, heaven literally freezes cold because they know who they are calling. Oh! Now demons are already in trouble. I just say Jesus. They're already in trouble. I've not even yet prayed. I just say Jesus. The things from hell now are trembling. They're saying, what is happening? Ah, you see, you see, you see. See what is happening. Witchcraft right now is saying, who, who called? Who called? What have we done? Thank you, Jesus. So, that name is powerful. Tell your neighbor that name is powerful. So, when he's given a name above every name, that at the sound of that name, every knee should bow. That's the attitude this old woman came to me with. She said, I cannot go with this cane. I can't go with these crutches. So I said, oh my God. I went down and knelt and prayed. After praying for her, I said, check yourself. She stood up and she couldn't stand up. Still more pain? Yes. Then she held me again and said, I said, I am not going back with these crutches. So when the Bible says he gave gifts to men, because remember it was at that destruction of what was in hell, he ascended in heaven and gave gifts to men. This woman knew what's on my life. She said, eh? I, I, I don't know what, but I have to walk. She told me, I have to walk. I put my hand on her again. Prayed the second time. Then she left me the sticks and said, bye, see you. Recently, she bought me a cow. So I sit her there. She says, This is your cow, apostle. God raised a crazy, crazy generation. God, shake somebody and tell them, Believe God. These things of feeling headache, and then you, you go to cover yourself. Uh, uh, say no. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Refuse diabetes, refuse high blood pressure, refuse those kidneys from, refuse, tell them work, work. Tell your heart, you're pumping until a hundred. Speak to your barren womb and tell it no. You'll conceive, you will conceive, you will conceive, you will conceive. Last Sunday, they brought a young girl. She got a, an attack in the eye, took them to the doctors. The pastor Joshua is the one who brought her. 
And then the doctors told the family, the only way to heal your child, we're going to take her to India. They have to operate that eye, cut it. It's a very expensive and very complicated operation. We cannot do it here in Uganda. I swollen, the girl is blind. When they brought the girl to me, ay, ay, resurrection power pumped up. I got these hands, put them on her head, and I said, in the name of Jesus, in three days, this eye will be seeing. Can't see, it's blind, it's covered. First day, second day, third day, Pastor Joshua has a picture. That eye is whiter than the one which was healthy. It is whiter than the one which was healthy. They said, well, let's go back to school. India was cancelled. Listen, listen. There is a doctor beyond the doctors in India. Come on, somebody. There's a doctor beyond the doctors in America and the UK. That doctor is called Jesus Christ. The author and finisher of your faith. Put your hand on your head and say, I cannot die young. In the name of Jesus. That is the name you put at your workplace. That is the name you direct to your marriage. That is the name you put on your son and say, my son will not die a drug addict. That is the name you pronounce over your young brother who is messing up. And you say, in the name of Jesus, you will study. That is the name you call. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's alive. I feel the anointing. Somebody receive some. I feel something so heavy. I don't know who can take this, but something is heavy. It's here. It's here. It's here. It's here. Something is here. It's unique. It's going to take you to the next level of ministry. It's, it's going to make the miraculous so easy for you. Oh my God, there he goes, 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 the one I was talking about. your mouth and speak to Jesus speak to Jesus take two minutes and speak resurrection over your body over your family over your marriage over your ministry over your business over your dreams speak to God come on speak your mouth can change it change your issue speak to your body speak to your mind speak to your family speak speak Speak, speak.
suffered and died to a world which was lost he gave all he could give to show us the reason to leave we are the reason that upon your life and more than ever before may the revelation of his resurrection become a deep deep experience in your spirit to serve God effectually you will not struggle you will not strife the hand of God will be mighty on your life. The anointing of the Spirit of God will not be deniable on your life. God is going to progress and advantage you. The best days are ahead of you. The years to come are going to be very, very fruitful years over your life. Clap your hands to Jesus. If you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, this is the day God has made for you to finally say, today I want to have a relationship with you, Jesus. If you're a man, woman out there, child listening to me, and you say, today I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Just repeat these words after me from your heart. Say, Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. Today, I choose to receive you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior, walk with me 
change me, heal me, transform me, deliver me. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.